This is an AMI podcast. Hi there. Welcome back to Connecting Disability on AMI-audio. I'm your host, Megan Gilmore, and I'm so glad that you've joined us today. Back in January, we had a conversation with Claire Lee about what it's like to navigate the medical system as a patient when you have a disability. Today, we're looking at another side of that conversation. We're asking, what is it like to be a doctor who has a disability? Our guest today is Quentin Clark. Quentin is a resident physician at the University of British Columbia. He is also the vice president and trainee group lead of the Canadian Association of Physicians with Disabilities. Quentin and I have a great conversation about what it's like to live with a disability when you're a medical student and what gives him hope for the future. I really hope you enjoy this talk. Quentin, thanks so much for joining me on the show today. Thank you for having me, Megan. I appreciate the invitation. I have never been in medical school, and most of the images I have of what medical school and residency are like come from soap opera TV shows that are probably the furthest thing from the (laughs) truth. So tell our audience a little bit about who you are and what you do and and what being a medical student actually looks like. Right. So I am a first-year resident physician at the University of British Columbia. In that role, we deliver... uh, medical care under the supervision of a staff physician. In our first year of medical training, uh, so this is the first year after completing medical school, in that role, we generally do a rotating internship through a variety of specialties, both related and less related to the discipline that we are entering. In my case, I uh, am pursuing a residency in psychiatry. So my rotations include things like emergency medicine, general psychiatry itself, addictions medicine, family medicine and internal medicine. In terms of my extracurricular involvement, I am the vice president and trainee group lead for the Canadian Association of Physicians with Disabilities. And my involvement with that group has really been for the past two years, trying to foster a community of medical students and resident physicians who live with disabilities and are working on navigating their own journey through the medical education system. What is your disability and how does it impact your medical education experience? Sure. So I have a myriad of disabilities. I live with Vactoral Syndrome, which is a series of congenital anomalies or uh, more commonly, though not preferably known as birth defects that occur together. Each of the letters of the condition uh, of the acronym stands for a different organ system that is involved in the congenital anomalies. So the V stands for vertebral, which refers to scoliosis. The A stands for anorectal malformations, the C for cardiac malformations, the T and the E for tracheoesophageal malformations, the R for renal malformations, and the L for limb malformations. Although I have a myriad of gastrointestinal malformations, I also have the superimposed Crohn's disease on top of it, which was diagnosed actually during my medical school journey, which was certainly a bit of an experience to both be learning medicine and once again navigating the medical system for a new diagnosis at that point. 
listening to you go through that acronym and say which each letter stands for it sounds like you've been receiving medical training like training to be a doctor since you were a child i'm just curious what prompted you to study medicine i think there's an idea out there that disabled people are patients not necessarily doctors so what prompted you to go into the medical field so I think I, I was lucky enough navigating my medical journey, and you're, you're quite right, it did start at a very early age. I had surgery both at birth and then two years into life to repair those malformations. During that experience, I was lucky enough to have a very kind, very caring physician, a surgeon actually, who uh, became something of a role model during that process, who I suppose instilled early on this idea, this reverence for physicians as healers and having that ability to provide that care. As I grew older and, and started to consider career paths, that was something that I was interested in and really was fostered through through a number of community involvements as well, not the least of which was with the Ostomy Society of Canada and my involvement with their youth camp, both as a camper and later as a volunteer, where we I was able to reconcile this kind of medical model of disability, but also the traditional experience of a disabled community caring for one another, that is, in this case, through the Ostomy Canada Societies and their good outreach work that they do uh, and community education efforts. For those of us who have yet to access all those education and outreach efforts, what is an Ostomy? Sure. So there's a variety of ostomies. When I refer to ostomies, I generally mean gastrointestinal ostomies. So an ostomy at its core is ultimately any opening into the body that is surgically created and maintained. In my case, after birth, because of the anorectal malformations, I had a colostomy, which is a redirection essentially of the colon out through the abdominal wall, uh, where it is connected to an ostomy bag that collects the output. It's common to, especially among folks who have Crohn's disease and other gastrointestinal conditions or indeed trauma related to, say, car accidents, uh, stabbings, bullet wounds, to have colostomy or an ileostomy, which is a connection from the small intestine out through the abdominal wall in a similar fashion. So you mentioned something in your answer about how this volunteer work has influenced you that I really wanted to dive into more, which is this interaction, I guess, between what we typically refer to as medical models of disability and then all the other models of disability, whether that be a social model or critical disability model or the myriad of other variations of that. How do you define the medical model of disability? And then what are your thoughts about it as a resident physician who has a disability? The medical model of disability generally seeks to treat a disability as a medical condition that can be resolved through medical care, medical treatment over a course of time. In my practice, generally, I don't, it's an odd thing to say, but I don't use or regard the medical model of disability to be that helpful, to be honest with you. I often lean fairly heavily on the social model of disability, and, and perhaps that's something that's unique to me training as a psychiatrist where I recognize that we can provide antipsychotic medications or antidepressant medications to individuals, but if they're not able to afford those medications, if they exist in an environment where they're constantly being re-traumatized, if they're living on the margins of society, 
society where their experience with poverty is causing a long-lasting and repetitive stress on their mental health, that really recovery through a medical model, really prescribing antidepressants, antipsychotics, and, and cognitive behavioral therapy or talk therapy of one type or another, really isn't going to lead to any substantial benefit for that individual. And so instead of recognizing the disabling environment which they occupy is important and, and something that I highly value. What I will say, and, and it's interesting because this came up in a teaching session some months ago when I was in medical school, I, I had made the statement that medicine inherently as a discipline both creates and works to eliminate people with disabilities. And this was felt to be quite a controversial statement at the moment that I said it. But ultimately, there's this attitude in medicine, and I, and I think it's very earnest uh, to believe that we can eliminate disability or that that is something that should be our goal. As a medical student and now as a medical resident with a disability, I think I'm able to bring that perspective with a bit more experience, both navigating the healthcare system and living within the disability community. And so oftentimes I am able to more easily critically address some of these attitudes and beliefs that come up in these discussions with attending staff members or patients themselves. That's one of the reasons why I'm, I'm interested in having you on. I know that you're involved with the Canadian Association of Physicians with Disabilities, and that organization has put out calls about the need for doctors in Canada to receive better training about disability as they're going through school. In your classes, in your experience as a medical student and now as a medical resident, how is disability talked about among people who are training to be doctors? So I would say broadly that disability specifically outside of the auspices of, of individual conditions is not really discussed meaningfully or critically. In my experience, there wasn't ever a lecture that we had particularly on the social model of disability versus critical disability theory versus uh, medical model of disability. Generally, what we've had instead has been individual patients coming and speaking about their experiences navigating the system. So even when we have these discussions about disability, when they're grounded in specific conditions, when these individuals come to talk, their experience and the topics that they discuss are very much grounded in a medical model of disability. And there's not so much space for discussion of those broader concerns what would you like to see change in the way doctors are trained about disability? So there's a couple things that I would like to see changed, and this is really grounded in some of the work that we're doing currently at the Canadian Association of Physicians with Disabilities. But I would like there to be a, a meaningful curriculum on disability for medical students at that early stage where they enter medicine. I think medical education and medicine as a whole should be an experience where one becomes more comfortable, more informed about disability through that journey. And I, I must say, I don't think that currently that's something that's occurring. So part of the work that we're doing with CAPD, uh, sorry, the Canadian Association of Physicians with Disabilities, and this project is actually funded through a grant from the Canadian Federation of Medical Students. But we're working uh, 
to create that curriculum. Uh, and so we've been working over the last several months, uh, both with uh, ourselves, who are all uh, physicians at various stages, whether staff physicians, uh, residents, or uh, medical students, uh, to establish a curriculum in partnership with uh, community partners uh, for uh, medical students to be used in their undergraduate medical education. And these modules provide knowledge around kind of comparison of disability models. What is disability? Mm -hmm. A very basic early understanding for people who come in with absolutely no experience with disability. And then we also have modules on disability legislation in Canada and the shortcomings and, and benefits of that legislation. And then additional modules on how to adequately perform a physical exam on someone who is disabled. Often when we're trained to do physical exams, we are taught on able-bodied individuals who are able to easily be maneuvered or manipulated on an examination table. But it, it simply is a, a different experience when navigating with someone who, say, is in a wheelchair or does not have the motor skills sufficient to be able to be manipulated in a way that we would expect based on our training. I used to live in Toronto and I had a friend who now works in the States, but he, he works in, in cancer. He's in oncology radiation. He would tell me, Megan, you should sign up to be one of the sample patients for medical schools because you are legally blind. And there's a good chance that none of these students have been taught or had to consider what it's like to do an exam on somebody who can't see as well. I never took him up on that. I'm still like debating whether or not I want to sign up to be a standard patient, but I think it's 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 worth noting that that training needs needs to be there. Absolutely. And I think this was really underscored recently by a study out of the States, actually, by Dr. Lisa Iazoni from her team at Harvard. Dr. Iazoni is herself disabled and, and quite an icon in the uh, disability community within medical education. She did her training prior to the Americans with Disabilities Act and, and ultimately became a, a health researcher rather than continuing her training because of the barriers she faced at that time. But sh she wrote with her team in the journal Health Affairs uh, in February that was a survey of American physicians and their comfort level with treating people with disabilities. Uh, and ultimately, only 41% of them felt very confident in their ability to care for patients with disabilities, and 57% of them strongly agreed that they welcomed patients with disabilities into their practice. So although we don't have Canadian equivalents to this study, I think this signal from the American study really suggests, and it really underscores kind of what we already know, that ultimately disabled patients are not particularly well cared for in the medical environment. Besides the lack of formal teaching about disability, why is that? Because it does seem like a bit of a contradiction in the sense that disability is often seen through a medical model or viewed in medically exclusive terms. So you would think that the medical establishment would be ready to help the people that they view through a medical lens. Where does this disconnect come from? Do you have any thoughts about that? 
I would imagine it's probably historic. And I, I realize that's not a great answer, but often a lot of what we're taught in medical school, the content area that we must focus on has been kind of decided and perpetuated from when a medical school was established. So in the case of my medical school, it was founded in 1969. And the topic areas that we were taught on likely have not meaningfully changed since that time. There likely hasn't been a meaningful refocus into topics of disability. And I think part of that has probably been impaired by not having people with disabilities at the tables where those decisions are made. Often those decisions would be made by the curriculum team for the undergraduate medical education group at a various medical at a given medical school. I would be surprised if any of the medical schools in Canada have a large amount of physicians with disabilities sitting at those tables presently. What I will say is in the past kind of two years after the murder of George Floyd, there's been a resurgence of interest in equity, diversity, inclusion, and accessibility, both in medical education and in medical culture as a whole. So we're starting to get some invitations from various groups and more easily being able to have these discussions with more receptive medical leaders. Have you faced disability-related barriers in your medical education? I have benefited significantly from having ultimately an invisible disability that I can generally manage on my own. However, what I will say is going through the accommodations process and having to navigate both uh, having accommodations for examinations and whatnot, but also in the clinical setting where preceptors often have a very stigmatizing attitude towards individuals with accommodations has been difficult. In my case, I've been lucky enough to largely not have any significant barriers. But many of my colleagues have not been so lucky, particularly those more so who have physical impairments, which require creative solutions to unfriendly environments such as the operating theater to find new ways to scrub in for surgical procedures or be present in the operating theater to assist with a surgical procedure of some sort or another. Why do you think we need doctors with disabilities? So I think the benefit of uh, having more physicians with disabilities is really to improve the care and the empathy towards patients with disabilities. I think, and I will admit that I do not have a uh, study or data to back this up, but I do think that the quality of care delivered by physicians with disabilities to individuals with disabilities is higher. And I will say that and underscore this really because in medicine, once you get out of your uh, kind of your medical school training and then your residency training, a lot of the learning that you do is self-directed. You can focus on, say, if you have an interest in addictions medicine, you can focus in that area. You can focus on cardiac pathology if you're a family physician who has a lot of patients with those conditions. I think the motivation among physicians with disabilities to invest more of their academic time, their learning time, in focusing on developing better ways of delivering care for patients with disabilities is there. It, it's more strong within those physicians who have experienced negative experiences themselves with the healthcare system or adverse experiences to want to uh, be better for the patients who they're caring for.
many of the people listening to this have had those adverse experiences with the healthcare system. I know that many disabled Canadians feel left out by the medical system. In some cases, they feel like they are being harmed by it. Uh, you saw that in concerns about triage protocols um, during the pandemic, this concern that disabled individuals would not get the care that they needed if they had COVID or, or in another serious situation. For you, because you've been in both places, right? You're both the patient and you're a medical resident. Do you have any suggestions for the Canadians with disabilities about how they can best interact with the medical system? In terms of interacting with the medical system and in terms of those kind of larger protocols, especially around COVID with the triage protocols, I think organizing and uh, uh, exerting political pressure on both the uh, provincial health officers who were largely responsible for overseeing those protocols and the politicians who have been shown to have significant influence over the provincial health officers throughout this pandemic. In interacting with your family physician in those one-to-one settings where the uh, relationship is more between yourself and your physician, I would strongly recommend to advocate firmly for yourself. Often these experiences can be disempowering as it feels that the physician has all of the power, all of the ability, all of the knowledge in that uh, relationship, when in actuality, we as patients, as individuals of the disability community, have significant knowledge in our own lived experiences with the condition and through our interactions with members of the community who Uh, often, at least in my experience, have been beneficial in providing advice and recommendations for treatment. What I will say is having a a positive relationship with that physician and really making that relationship as collaborative as possible. And if that individual is a good physician, that relationship should be collaborative. There shouldn't be a time where a treatment plan or a treatment strategy is imposed on a a patient. That should should never occur. So really having a, a spine of steel and really being as resilient as possible in those uh, often difficult to navigate scenarios uh, and situations is important. You did mention earlier on in our conversation today that you had good doctors and that that, especially with some surgeons, that that's what motivated you to consider medicine as a career. So what were some of the things that those surgeons did that really stood out to you as good care? The surgeon that I had in mind uh, at BC Children's Hospital, who did most of my surgical care and and follow-up, was always very available. He was very warm, very compassionate, and at at that point really was very supportive of the disability community. And I think part of that was in within... ostomy surgery within ostomy recovery, there is a ostomy nurse who would do those appointments with him, who has specialized training in ostomies and continence care, really. And so the dynamic was a bit shifted in that environment in that it wasn't a sole physician providing the care that they would collaborate in a bit more of a team environment to deliver care. Looking ahead to when you're out of school, like it will end one day, Quentin, you will not always (laughs) be a resident with the crazy resident schedules. When you look ahead to working. What are some of the things that you would like to incorporate into your practice to better serve your patients, either those who have disabilities or those who don't? 
So in my case, I will be hopefully at the end of my residency practicing as a psychiatrist. And one way that I feel that I can better serve the needs of that population is really through recognizing the social determinants of health, as I as I had touched on earlier, and recognizing the environments in which these people, these patients live. And I think both in terms of kind of practical in the clinical setting, keeping that in mind and keeping that in the forefront of my mind, that the first step to caring for these patients is often going to be medical treatment, but it's important to keep in mind the political aspect of their experience. So do my patients have housing? Do they have a safe place to live? Are they having access to good quality food and the nutrition necessary to keep them healthy apart from their mental health conditions? Do they live in a stressful environment? Do they have access to their medication reliably? And are they able to access care? Or is there a barrier to that care in the form of transportation or where that care is being delivered in the city. And I think that political aspect of uh, the political dimension, rather, of that care is not something that necessarily gets resolved in a one-to-one patient-physician interaction, but is something external that needs to be advocated and will be incorporated into my practice, advocating through political actors. So through both the medical hierarchy, the healthcare administrators that we work with who have a say in determining what types of care is delivered and where it is offered in the city, uh, but also through our local MLAs and or MPPs back in Ontario, uh, and MPs as well, who determine what type of funding different types of care get. So I think recognizing the system that we work in and recognizing that it is a human-created system that can be modified and can be reinvested in and can be bolstered if we have the political will and, and the will as society to do that is something that I will try to continue to incorporate into my practice going forward. There's a lot of challenges in medicine and psychiatry, especially. What are some of the things that give you hope? The biggest thing that gives me hope has been the changes that I've seen in the last two years, really. We went from not having these discussions whatsoever in any sort of meaningful way around EDI to having a really groundswell in terms of these initiatives in medical culture. And, it, and it's happened at the national level as well through the Canadian Medical Association and through our provincial medical associations as well. This greater emphasis on recognizing where we can improve and in terms of equity, diversity, inclusion, and accessibility, and extending that not only to our physician colleagues and healthcare colleagues, but also to the patient care that we're delivering. And so I think even seeing how we've how far we've come in the last two years, I, I'm optimistic that we'll continue to build on that over the next decade. And I'm optimistic that we will be able to move other organizations to continue to adopt more patient-centered, more disability-friendly policies and practices to improve the care of these patients. On this show, we've been asking our guests to consider the ways that having a disability can be isolating and at the same time, how it can lead to expanded connections with other people. First, for you, what right now are some of the ways that living with a disability can be isolating? 
So I think right now in the community that I occupy, as you touched on with my busy schedule, I'm often surrounded only by medical residents, medical students, and staff physicians. I exist in this kind of insular medical community at the moment and often am not directly connected with other physicians with disabilities because we are so few in number. It's often not an area in which I necessarily feel comfortable discussing my disability or necessarily have understanding from from those colleagues around what living with a disability is like or what the challenges of navigating residency with a disability are like. That's been a bit isolating. I will say on a separate note, usually the antidote for that for me has been volunteering at the Ostomy Canada Society's youth camp in uh, Kananaskis. Mm. Uh, and over the past two years of the COVID pandemic, we've had to unfortunately cancel that. And so that is going to happen this year for the first time in, well, three years now. So that is something to look forward to and something that has always been a, a kind of a mainstay of the Ostomy community. Especially in these times where you've mentioned this double whammy of isolation first and there not being many other doctors with disabilities and then you add on the pandemic and how, you know, camp was canceled for a few years because of that. What has meaningful connection looked like for you? So I've been lucky enough to have two of my colleagues actually from the Canadian Association of Physicians with Disabilities match to start residencies at the University of British Columbia with one in my program, actually. So for the first time, we've actually all been in the same location. Um, so we've created a kind of impromptu dinner club, I guess, where we're able to meet up kind of once to twice a month to just hang out and, and talk about what's been going on in our lives and, and what the challenges are that we've been navigating and do fun things like bike the seawall in Vancouver together. Having that community start to build in Vancouver here, my colleagues who have already come over and hopefully will uh, continue to attract some more folks to join us in Vancouver from the medical students who are coming up through the ranks of the Canadian Association of Physicians with Disabilities. But that has really been a bright spot in the pandemic so far. You mentioned that you are very lucky to have people matched to be where you are. So for those who have not gone through the process of being matched for a residency, can you describe for us why that is such a lucky thing? Right. When we match for our residency training, which is our stage of training following our graduation from medical school, we ultimately enter into a process known as the Canadian Residency Matching System, where we apply for programs based on our specialty of interest and location. And so often during this process, individuals, and myself included, will apply across Canada for a given specialty. So in my case, I applied to psychiatry and I applied to public health training and I applied across the country. Um, and it's difficult to predict where one is going to match because mm -hmm. as much as I have a say in terms of my ranking for the programs that I would prefer, and, and UBC was very high at the top of my list as I am originally from Vancouver, it is unpredictable as to whether or not you're going to get the program of choice because the programs themselves get to create a, a list of students that they would prefer to have join their programs and rank themselves. This all gets fed into a large computer algorithm that truthfully, even after having gone through the matching process, I'm not sure I truly understand. But at the end of it, it spits out a result that tells you where you will be living for the next two to six years of your residency. And in my case and, and in my colleague's case, we were lucky enough to all match to the University of British Columbia. 
Columbia that year. Hearing friends of mine who've gone through this, it does sound like you put in all this effort and then your future is left to this black box algorithm that we don't know who the person is who actually understands how it works, if they could identify themselves. I'm sure that would be helpful for all the residents out there who are trying to figure this out. Thanks so much for being here. I really appreciate it. And I look forward to seeing what you do in your career. Thank you, Megan. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it as well. Connecting Disability is a production of AMI-audio. It's written and produced by me, Megan Gilmore, with technical production by Nizreen Abdel-Majid. Andy Frank is the manager of AMI-audio. Special thanks to our guest, Quentin Clark. Special personal thanks to my friend, John So, who years ago encouraged me to be a model patient for medical students so they could learn how to best care for patients with visual impairments. Uh, John's a a great uh, doctor in his own right, but I never took him up on that advice. Uh, But my friend Leah Zing did. So uh, thank you, Leah, for the work that you do to help uh, doctors know more about their patients and also uh, your other work to make sure Canadians of all ethnic backgrounds can access the medical system. Thanks so much for listening. We'll connect next time.